this uh, Bread of Life series is, is so much has, of, of it has to do with Jesus and saying that he was the Bread of Life. And we're going to talk about that today and hopefully let it challenge us and speak to us. Can I just for a moment give us a context to what we, we are going to be looking at? We're going to jump in and, and, and watch an exchange take place between Jesus and some people who were interacting with him. And the words that Jesus utters are, are a response to an inquiry that was made, an expectation that came along with that inquiry. If in the sixth chapter of John, the, what, it, what had, is mentioned is happening, and everything uh, that occurs is coming off of a miracle that Jesus did, in which we talked about it, where he fed the 5,000, the, the multiplication of the bread and, and, and the fish, and how the multitudes were just amazed at the, <laughs> the stunning thing that occurred. And uh, they were following Jesus, and they were so excited that they wanted to make him king. And uh, he refused. He refused to be uh, made king by them. They wanted him to use his power. And he basically backed off. In fact, he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But they were so excited, so enamored of what he had done uh, in this amazing provision that they followed him around, and they found him in Capernaum. And that's when this takes place, because... It, what happens is they say to him, we've been looking for you for um, oh, uh, hours now. We, have, we weren't able to find you. Where'd you go? And uh, they start talking, and Jesus says, well, you're, you, wanna, you want me, but you want me for the wrong reasons. You just want me to do some more miracles for you. You want me to do some, make some more meals for you. Uh, he goes, I'm not interested in just performing for you. And, he, and then he says, you know what? You need to focus on the right things. He says, you're focused on signs and wonders and what I can do, but you're missing the bigger miracle that's happening right in front of your eyes. He says, why don't you not labor for the bread that perishes, Jesus says, but labor for that bread that, that will last eternally. And of course, they, they, they're, they're fixated on what he means by labor. It implies work. And so look, this is, that explains what we're about to look at here. Look at the 28th verse with me. So Jesus says, labor for that which will last, the bread that will endure. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. Okay, we will labor for that. Well, what do you want us to do? That's their question. And Jesus said, look, this is the only work that I want you to do basically right now. And the work that I really want you to do that God wants you to do is one thing, to believe. Look at this. To believe in the one that he has sent. If you want to know what you're supposed to do in relation to this miracle, believe. Believe in the one who he has sent. And that sets in motion this exchange. And it's, a, it's, it's pretty impressive what takes place. It says they answered. They said, okay, well, okay, you want us to believe you. Well, uh, why don't you show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you? I mean, what can you do? Basically, what are you going to You say believe. So um, show us your stuff. Show us what you got. Show us what you can do. I mean, that's, the, that's what they're laying out. You do things that will then make us believe, even more than what you did a few days uh, yesterday. We want to see it. We want to see it on display. And then they make this comment, and they drop back in time. And it's amazing, because we were just exploring this way back in the book of Exodus when we were talking about the nation of Israel when they were led out of Egypt and how God miraculously provided for them in the wilderness. We talked about the manna from heaven, that bread. And look what it says here. They say, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say... And now they're quoting from Psalm 78 here. He says, they say, the scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
All right? So they, they responded, didn't God provide for the people? He gave them bread from heaven. And they're, they're connecting back to their to experiences of their ancestors. And you know what? Jesus, he says, look, he says, I, I, I tell you the truth. Let me tell you two things about this. He says, one, Moses, look at this, verse 32. Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. He, my father did. Okay, number one. And now he's giving you something even better than that. Better than bread that rots if it's left on the ground and the next day it's just corrupted. Better than a bread that, that we eat it and it's gone. The miracle that God is doing before your eyes dwarfs that miracle. And he says this. He says, my, besides, it's, God, it's from God anyway. He says, now he's offering you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now they're still thinking, oh, you're talking, to, they're still thinking uh, material. They're still thinking literal bread. They're thinking, oh, there's an even better bread than the one that our ancestors got. And, and, and you're saying you're going to give it to us every day? Get, look, sir, sir, they said, give us this bread every day. We would love it. Just, yeah, that's fantastic. That's exactly what we're talking. That's why we came looking for you. We, we, we were impressed. Can you do it again? And again? If you can do that, oh, we will believe you. Look what Jesus says. It's like he stops them in their tracks. And he says, you're not understanding me. I'm not talking about bread that you eat physically. Listen, I am the bread of life. Now that statement alone was designed to connect them and take them somewhere. When we read the Bible, so many of the things that Jesus says are rooted in a context themselves. They were talking about Moses, the great deliverer, and the one who God used to provide for them in the wilderness. Now they're saying to Jesus, provide for us. Show us what you can do. Are you greater even than Moses? Jesus says, listen, I am the bread of life. But when he uses the word I am, it can be read, and, and if we're not connecting back to what actually happened in the life of Moses, we miss the significance of what Jesus is actually asserting. Because you know what he says? When he says, I am, he's taking them all the way back to a moment. And we call these the I am's of Jesus. Because he'll say things like, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I mean, he says things that are designed to, to have more meaning than just the phrase. Because think about it. What are we talking about? It goes all the way back to something we covered. Remember when Moses was coming before God and he saw this bush. He was a, he's a shepherd in the wilderness and in the desert and he sees this bush that's burning but it's not consumed and he makes his way to it. And when he makes his way to it and, and it beholds it, a voice comes out and says, take off your shoes, your sandals because you're standing in the midst of a holy ground. And, and, and then there's a conversation that ensues between God and Moses and as they're talking, God says, look, you need to go back this is the time that I've chosen to set my people free. And you're the one that's going to carry this message. And Moses says, well, well they're going to want to know that I didn't just make this up. What do I say about who you are? What do I tell them your name? Tell me your name. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll at least have something to work with. And that's when God says to Moses, "Here, I am that I am. That's what I want you tell them. The I am has sent you. The self-existent one, the beginning, the originator. The first, I mean, that's what he's saying. The creator himself has sent you. I am that I am. I defy explanation and containment. He says, when you want to know, they want to know who I am, I am that I am. So when Jesus, again, they're saying Moses did this, and Jesus goes all the way back, and he, he takes them right here, and he says, 
You think the bread that I'm talking about is a tangible bread that can be eaten and tossed? That, what, that's not the bread. The, that, was, that miracle is nothing compared to the greater miracle that is happening right before your eyes. I am the bread of heaven, the bread of life given for you. Do you see it? Well, that, and look what it says here. It says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Listen, I am the bread of life. Look at verse 35. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. He's talking soul, spirit. He's talking at the deepest levels of, the human, of a human being. He's talking beyond the physical. He's getting into the deepest places. He says, you want your heart to be truly satisfied? You want bread that if you eat it, you'll never hunger again? It reminds me of something that Jesus said two chapters earlier in John 4, when there was a woman, we call her the Samaritan woman by the well. And she was with Jesus by the well. Jesus was alone. And she came. In fact, it was somewhat scandalous for a, a rabbi to even talk to a Samaritan, get alone a Samaritan woman. And yet, there they were. And Jesus initiates a conversation. He breaks with social convention. And he says to her, would you give me some water to drink? And you know, they had a well there, it says. And they would drop the water, the, that, that basket, that jar, that that bag down into the well, and it, would, and it was quite, actually, it took quite a lot of effort to draw that water up, back up. And they get into a conversation not dissimilar from this one in which she basically says, interestingly enough, as Jesus says, look, if you knew the kind of water that I could give you, you'd be asking me for a drink. And she says, what kind of water is that? Jesus said, look, if you, the water that I'm talking about, if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. And she goes, oh, I would, I, would, I would love to have that water. Where do I get it? it that, you're telling me that I can get some water that I will never have to draw from this well again? And Jesus says, yes, that water, but it's different than what you're thinking. And then he gets into her personal life and all the brokenness that is there, layers of brokenness. It's, it's an amazing exchange. Check it out, John 4. But, but she says, oh, sir, give me that water. It's the same thing that they say. Oh, yeah, we want that bread. Same thing. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't, but then he says this, almost with sadness, coming through the words of the page. But you haven't believed in me. You haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those that the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. Listen, this is what he's basically saying. Essentially, it's this. I know those who are mine, and I, don't, I know the ones the Father has given me, and they are the ones who believe in me. But you have not believed on me. You think I'm doing this of my own volition. You think that of my own will, that somehow I, I have, have I'm just kind of making this up. But I have, I tell you this, I live uh, with my will submitted. And then he says this, the, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. I am a son fully aligned. He says, and this, and you want to know what that will is? He says, and this is the will of God. I'll tell you what the true will of God is. The will of God is that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. Jesus takes us and scans past this life, past the horizon of this life, into, into the eternal things. And he says, for it is my Father's will. Everything about why I've come is for this. It is my Father's will that all those who see his Son and believe in him. This is the essence of the Easter message as well. The good news, the gospel we proclaim. 
He says, it is, it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. He makes that statement. I have come from heaven to you as the bread of life. Will you have me? And they turn to one another, it says, and the people begin to murmur. You can feel the clamoring in the crowd. What is he talking about? Who is he? Who is he trying to imply that he is? He's, is he claiming to be something more than just a, possibly a prophet? We know him. We know his parents. Yeah, they're, it's Joseph's son, Joseph and Mary's son. That's right. He can't be who he claims to be. Whatever he got his power from, however he does what he does, it can't be that. It can't be that. No, 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 it can't. It says this, and look what it says that Jesus said to them. Stop, because they were arguing over the statement. It tells us very clearly in verse 42, the statement that that bothered them. When he said, because you said you came down from heaven. And, they, and Jesus said, <laughs> almost like he's, he's Moses talking to the rebellious children of Israel. Stop complaining about what I said. Because no, and now, look at these next two verses. This is awesome. Awesome if you get it. We get it. Everything is meant to lead us here. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. Draws me. You know what Jesus is saying? Look, because one thing they're trying to get, he's, he says, look, I'm not interested in arguing with you. You want to you mean, say what you say about me, where I am, I'm just telling you what it is. He goes, but I'm not going to get caught up in an argument with you. About, and he could have. He could have gone into this large explanation. Look, Joseph's not my biological father. I, he, you know, God's done an amazing thing. Have you read Isaiah 7? He could have started down the line on all the things in the scriptures, opened them up as he had. But you know what? He didn't get bogged down in an argument. You know what he says? He says this. He says, I'm going to tell you, I'm not interested in arguing with you about this. He says, for no one, listen to me. I'm not going to argue because you know what? No one can come to me. You cannot come to me unless the Father, the Father who sent me draws them to me. And this, this interesting word for draw, you know, draw, what does it mean? I mean, it, I mean the idea of this, the, the Greek word, it actually shows up quite frequently in the, in, the, in the New Testament, draw. It has to do with this idea. In fact, it's the same word that is used uh, at the end of the book of John, the 21st chapter, when they're talking about um, a net that is filled with fish. And it's so heavy and so filled up that they, they, can't, they can't carry it in like they know. So they had to drag it in. It took a few of them to drag it. So it was so overwhelmed that they had to draw it in and drag it to the shore. That's the, the picture, the same word. It's the same word that is used when they talk about Paul and Silas in, in the, what is it, the 16th chapter of Acts, when, when it says that Paul and Silas were dragged before the magistrates, literally taken and pulled into the presence of the judge, this idea of being drawn, being pulled in a direction. And then, and then it's the same word that is used when they come for Jesus in the garden. It's used to refer to Peter's sword that he draws out to defend Jesus when they come and swings that sword and would have probably died at that moment if G because he swung to, to do damage. And Jesus says, stop it. Put away the sword. Those who use that sword will die by the sword. That is not the way. That is not the will. You put that away now because God has another plan. And you don't know what's going on. And in your recklessness, you're going to get in the way. Stop it now. And, he, and he, he calms them before it breaks into a malaise. It's just he's an amazing moment. But the point that I was making there is that it had to do 
with the sword being drawn. And what are, and think about it, even the idea of uh, water being drawn out of the well. What do each of those things imply? What do they imply? They imply resistance. It, it's, it, it, you to pull something up, uh, you've got to pull it out of there. Um, the sword is resisting. It's coming out of it, um, dragging the, the uh, net, uh, being pulled, being drawn to the magistrate. It's all about resistance. What is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, look, God is trying to draw you to me, but you are resisting. That's what he's saying. You are resisting me. This is an amazing statement he makes. And, I'm gonna, and, and, and then he goes on to say this. He says, and, and, and he says, you're resisting God's overture in me to you. And then he concludes by saying in verse 45, another quite meaningful verse. He says, as it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. He quotes Isaiah 54. And then he says this. And listen, this is a great word if we hear it. He says, everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Do you understand? Do you see what's happened there? What, is, what did Jesus just do? See, he says, look, you can't come to me unless God draws you to me. But then he says, at the same time, he says, there is still an invitation. It's, 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 he's almost like he's saying this. Even though it's going to be God that starts this, there, there is also something true about the relationship with me, and that is it depends on your response. Will you listen and will you determine to learn? It, it's almost like he's saying, on one hand, it depends on God drawing the resistance, letting it go. On the other hand, there is something that depends on us. It's not either or, it's both and. It's actually quite interesting. Jesus is complimenting the one with the other. He's saying, look, in one sense, none of this happens unless God's drawing you. So I'm not gonna argue you, argue you into this. It's not about trying to persuade you to believe. I'm telling you what's going on. Will you believe? God is working. God is calling. God is drawing you. Don't resist him. That's one thing. He says, but also, you must choose. So on the one hand, it's God initiating action. On the other hand, you get to choose the response. Will you listen? But not just listen. Will you also learn? Now keep that in mind as we, make, as we sort of sit with this. Because part of what I would like to do is just not only give us a practical, some, a practical application, but I want to also prepare us to move into these next two weeks. Firstly, let me put on this on the board, that there, one of the things that's pretty clear is that there is a time to resist being drawn into an argument. And for some of us, this might have direct application with where we are, where we're going in the next, next few days. Because there's a time to bypass and refuse to get bogged down with trying to defend oneself. A lot of times, I think that when we, particularly when something is an inaccurate or there's an insinuation that's being made or an accusation that's being made, you know, Jesus, from a communicator's standpoint, was supremely disciplined. Uh, he, he just didn't get drawn into, um, into places he didn't, he didn't want to go. Uh, there, there are so many times that, that people wanted to bait him into an argument um, that, that he considered either pointless or distractive or, or both, and, in which case he was simply refused to go. They said, you can't be who you said you are. We know you're Joseph and, and Mary. He said, you know, I'm not even going to argue that point. With This is not the point. He didn't even, know, he didn't even get, he didn't get led down a trail that was taking them away from the larger issue. I'm not going to argue that with you. This is what I want to tell you. God is doing something in, your, in, the midst, in front of your very eyes, if you can see it. 
there, there are times, I think, when, and, and again, these examples are, there's all kinds of examples of Jesus interacting with people. But practically speaking, it's really important to remember that there are times when the wise Christ-like response is to refuse to get defensive. And to, check our, and to check our need to clarify, to justify, to correct a faulty assertion, an accusation, um, an insult, a misstatement that we feel. And that happens all the time. You know, we get into a situation where we're talking, we're trying to, to discuss something, and someone says something. And you know what? Before long, we're fighting over a, a point that it, 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 okay, whether or not it, it's true or not, whether it, it's so taking us so off course from where we need to go that it's just creating it's, uh, an entirely different discussion. And I look at Jesus and I watch the element of self-control that he modeled in the way in which he, he stayed focused and refused to get bogged down in defensiveness when people said things that were designed to pull him away. He kept focused on the larger issue. It's really good. I mean, there's always things that we can learn from the example of Christ from a practical standpoint. And one of those examples is, again, is that ability to stay on the main and not get bogged down, caught off out of a defensive reaction on our part that pulls us into something that we shouldn't even be, that's not going to produce anything. It's only going to take away from the larger issues that we're trying to get into. And this, this is a, where a lot of interpersonal things break down. Someone says something, we react, we get defensive. And so our, by the time we're done, the issue is not even about the issue that we were originally trying to discuss. It's now become everything about what you said as we were on our way to get there. Or how I felt about what you said, which wasn't true. That's not true. And then before long, we completely start getting bogged down in an area and in a place that is just, there's nothing as good as going to come out of it. And we've completely missed the entire point of it. And a lot of times we walk out of those conversations and we just feel awful, angry, mad, um, disrespected. And I just love the example of Jesus who refused to get moved off of where he wanted things to go. He, he is really, I mean, I'm just wrong from a practical standpoint of healthy communication, whether it's in our homes or in a workplace. I mean, there is so much to learn from the way of Christ. There's so much wisdom there. Just practically from a daily living standpoint. But here's the bigger issue for me. And again, I'm thinking about this idea of drawing. God drawing us. I'm also thinking about the idea of when I think of drawing, I think of something else. There's a reason why I said being open to the drawing of God, because I think also the Lord wants to draw lines in our lives, in our own hearts. And I think of drawing, I think of somebody who places something against something, and it creates something. But there's pressure, there's a resistance that creates a picture or a word or a symbol. And God is trying to write things in us as well. He wants to draw things in us, clear lines, new lines, beautiful lines. What is he trying to do? The Bible talks about God as the master artist, really, the other, who he has a poem to write in our lives. He says, you, we are his workmanship, created in the good works in Christ. I mean, what is he trying to write in our lives? What is he drawing in our lives? What is he drawing us to? Some of us, God, listen, some of us right now, God is drawing us to him. He's drawing us because he wants to draw new things in us. And we can feel it. There are times where, and, and, uh, if I could say it, there, this was one of those moments where Jesus is saying, the bread of heaven is near, the word of the Lord is near. Not all times are the same. And it's like he's saying to these people, do you understand what's happening right before your eyes right now in this moment? God is trying to draw you to him. 
Will you, what will you let me be to you? If you say I am only the son of Joseph and Mary, only a prophet, then I can, you cannot have what I have come to bring. Will you let me be who I am to be to you? I am the bread of heaven given from God for you, the bread of life, if you will have me. And if the Father will draw you, and I think God, Father is drawing you now. Will you hear it? Will you receive it? Some of us, this is our time. The word of the Lord is drawn near. The Bible says not all time is the same time. There are some moments that are different. It says in one occasion in the scripture that the power of the Lord was present to heal, implying it was a unique moment in time where God was moving in a particular way. And there are times in our own lives where the word of the Lord comes near to us and God is drawing us. He's tugging at our hearts. He's pulling us in a direction. He's saying, come with me. Come with me. Do, let, walk with me. Serve me. Sometimes it's let go of what you're holding up. I don't want to let go, Lord. You've got to come on. No, I don't want to do it, Lord. I don't want to trust you at this level. I don't want to. I, I, not now. I, I don't want to go. That resistance in God. That, um, that, see, the Bible says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to us. There's this idea of the Lord's drawing near. Last thing I'll say, and again, I connect it to that, to that uh, 45th verse there. It has to do, and I don't want to just rush past it and miss the significance because I really believe that during this time, that for some of us, this is a season where God is calling us not just to listen, he's calling us to learn. And there is a difference between listening and learning. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. What was he saying? Don't just listen and not let it affect you. He's saying the listening I'm talking about is the listening that produces a learning. It's a faith that produces an action. It's a hearing that produces a doing. You see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, he says, when you really hear what I'm saying, if you're hearing and learning, listen and learn, hear and learn. Because when you do that, he says, he's basically saying, it's true. how do you know if you truly have heard? He says, because it will, it will create a response that will, be, that will produce an implementation of something that affects our life. In other words, how can we say it? To, to, the, the saying is this, to learn and not do is not to learn. To learn and not do is not to learn. Real learning always involves more than just uh, an, an appreciation of a concept. It, it implies something of a change and an effect. And Jesus is saying, I want you to listen and learn. I want you to learn my ways, not just listen to them. I want you to have true listening, not the listening that is at a surface level, oh, that was nice, or, yeah, now I know that. Do we really know it? Because true knowing is connected to doing. Be not a hearer only, but a doer of the word. And I want to suggest that this Easter season is a time when God is calling a lot of us to listen in a different way. That we are being wooed by God, called by God, drawn by God to the deeper place. And this is, in many ways, a time for us to ponder for the purpose of practice. Ponder for the purpose of practice. Think about what God is saying at a practical level. That's why we say you got to read, read God's word. Be around people who are training also to, do, to grow in the Lord. Um, we, we, we are not meant to do this alone. It, we, it, God rarely creates something out of nothing. It's, it's, it's an exchange that occurs. He says, look, I, the first thing I want you to do, what does he say? Believe. But then after that, listen and learn of me. And what is God calling us to learn? There's places of expansion in our lives. God's calling us into new places. God has things for us to move into.
God, is calling, that God has a way for us to submit, to submit that will bring life. For some of us, God's calling us for the first time to really believe. For the first time, to really believe. To go from an admirer and an observer to a believer. For some of us, we do believe, but we've been reluctant to really respond to that in a way that challenges us to grow in terms of the dailiness of our lives and into the real issues that we often hold back from God because, you know, that's sort of what we, we you wouldn't be interested in that, Lord, anyway, right? And we hold things back from God and God's saying, no, you need to move. This is your time. This is your, do not resist me. Some of us, God's calling us to step out in faith, to commit, to trust, to let go of secret things that have been holding us back. We don't even want them anymore anyway. Trust him. Move forward. Lord, as we are here and bringing our hearts before you in this Easter season, um, and we all, we, this, this thing about this life with you, Lord, is that it is never a point where we, we are told, oh, you, you, Jesus, stop growing. You always invite us to grow and to expand and to become more of who you made us to be and to learn of you and learn your ways and to trust you at a new level and to, Lord, to appreciate the nuances of who you are and what you've meant to be to us. And the bread of heaven, feed us. Feed our souls at a deep level, Lord. And I also pray that you would take your pen, the signature of God, and write it in us. Begin to draw things in our own lives, Lord. Master artists, compose songs and melodies inside of us. Give us songs to sing and words to say. Lord, give us a, a faith that is active and not passive. Teach us to admire you, not simply for a concept, but as a, as a real a Lord and Savior who is also our friend and shepherd. Um, Master, Lord, God, Savior, Son, Redeemer, all these things. May, may who you are be enlarged in us and may we grow in your ways in the days ahead. I pray for this, Lord. I pray for blessing and the flow of grace and life. I pray for breaking free and new beginnings. I pray for the final end of things that have been keeping us down letting go of past issues that seem to just be unresolvable but are stealing away our peace. Lord, we trust you for the days ahead. Give us courage and strength. And we ask this, Lord, let us to live in the promises that you've given to us in the days ahead. And we look forward to Easter celebrating the victory of life. May that life flow in us as well. Bread of heaven, feed us at a very deep level. So as we bring our service to a close, Lord, as we bring our closing song here as we take this time as many of our community does to honor you in our tithes and our offerings and our giving time i just pray lord we will not forget how much you have given to us and how much you still want to be to us i pray for open eyes and a, a learned spirit in jesus name amen and amen mm -hmm.